Lord. In the last, in the past year, we have uh, been spending a lot of time with you working on identity. Many of you know, actually know now who you are. When we can sing, we are sons and daughters of the living God. We actually believe that. Yeah. And it's not just lip service. Amen? Amen. Isaiah 45, which we read earlier. For this is what the Lord says. He who creates the heavens, he is God. He who fashioned and made the earth, he founded it. He did not create it to be empty. Weren't you created from the earth? Men, you were created from Adam, the dirt, the actual earth. Women, you were pulled from the, the side of man. You all stemmed from things that were not created to be empty. But he formed it to be inhabited. That's a mouthful right there. Let me start our, today's message in the new year off with our attitude. And we want to remind you of something. We're going to talk to you today about being spirit-filled. Amen? Yeah. Spirit-filled. Let me, let me remind you what filled is in your Bible. Okay? So this is a cup. This is water. Right? This is what you have been taught is full. Right? Is that a full cup? That really? was impressive. Because biblically, it is not. So everything that we say to you today, you say, I am a spirit-filled Christian. You might be full of a lot of things, but unless you are biblically full, you are not spirit-filled. So what does spirit-filled mean? Spirit this filled. is what spirit-filled means. Are you spirit-filled today? What happens when we're filling? What if there was something that shouldn't be in this cup? You can entrust the process and progress of the Holy Spirit because before long, it's not going to be in this cup. When you stopped being lost, when you started being a son and daughter of the living God, you entered into a process called being <laughs> spirit filled. Amen. Good news, right? Amen. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter one. Verse 1, say spirit filled when you're there. You don't actually need a, a bathroom break. It's just, it's a thing in your brain. You saw the water spilling. Y'all stay seated for another hour. We'll get this message to you. <laughs> Phil, come on. Hebrews 1, 1. In days gone by, time passed. God spoke in many and varied ways to the fathers through the prophets. But now, somebody say now. Now. But now, in the last days, he has spoken to us through his son. Saints, we have spent a lot of time on the fatherhood of God. Yeah. Because in the culture that you've been born into, there is a very perverted view of that. And we needed to correct that in you. For the last four years in Remnant, to be, in, uh, to, to be exact, it was the very first thing that God put on our heart was to establish, first and foremost, who God is. Yeah. Because are, are we in agreement? Our culture says God's a lot of things, but many of them are false. 
We have worked towards working into you the fatherhood of God so that we could establish just to talk to you about the son. Hebrews 1.1 is saying that in times past, in history, God spoke to mankind about the nature of the father. But now, in these last days, he is speaking to us through his son. So you know what that means? Not just the words that come by the mouth of the son, because we think of it that way sometimes. We think of it like, oh, that means whatever Jesus said, that's what he means. No, he is saying through his son, in his son. Your translations may, be, may vary in this area because they're wrestling with the word of what that means there. Hebrews 12, 2 actually says that you were to fix your eyes upon Yeshua. That word, therefore, fix is to turn your perspective, your sight, from looking at what you did look at or was looking at and turn it towards something else and intentionally never move from it. Yeah. Fix your eyes. Some of your translations say fixing your eyes because it's an action ongoing word. Continuously looking to everything that is to and through the lens of Yeshua. We're going to dig in this today. And when, when we're talking about spirit field, what we're going to do today is we're going to fill you with the word so that it washes some things out that you may have not known was there. Amen. He goes on to say in Hebrews 1, verse 2, But now, in the last day, he has spoken to us through his Son, to whom he has given ownership of everything, and through whom he created the entire universe. Anybody else got another word for universe there? World. Time. There you go. T-I-M-E. But do you know that times, the rate of decay... And so, therefore, aeons are more than just time because when time is over, is there still aeons? Okay, see, we're going to dig a little bit this morning, right? We're going to put our nerd cap on. Is that okay? We're doing that with you this morning. Yeah, we're going to We're going to go word nerd on you, right? We're going we're gonna, to uh, tickle your intellect, give you some of the word, pierce your heart, and then leave you with some questions that you can work out because you, my friends, are spirit-filled. That word universe is aeons. We define that as ages like the dinosaur aeon, right? Or eon. The dinosaur age, we say, right? Some of your false doctrines, right, have called it uh, dispensations, ages, as though the father changes like shifting shadows. And we're going to move on from that when I get Pastor Kaysen here fired up. But in ancient times, aeons would have not just been <clears throat> spans of time, but also they attributed that word to divine deities. Oh, and also dimensions. Dimensions, divine deities, and spans of time. Big word, right? Yeah. Yeah. So there's much more going on here in the, in the text. And you read it in English and you subject yourself to your culture. But when you get in the culture and the minds of what's actually going on here, you'll realize that the writer is literally destroying false doctrines and false teachings as he writes. We're going to help you out with that today. Verse 3. This son, this Son is the radiance of the glory of God. In Hebrew, it's Shekinah or Shekinah, however they say it. 
I say Shekinah. Because I'm not going to say Shekinah. The very expression, listen, the very expression of God's essence. That's very poetic, isn't it? You're like, man, I just love to say that the sun is the very expression of God's essence. Like essence, like verb, verb, what do they call that? Herbal essence? I was like, oh, anyway, okay, whatever. It's the, it's the little witchcraft drops you guys put in the diffusers to make. Yeah. Oh, oh, sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm, just, I'm, kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Vape. Don't get no, offended. No, no, no. Your shield's not coming out of your vape. Thank you. <laughs> the sun is the radiance of the Shekinah, the radiance of his glory, the very expression of his essence. Listen, that word there, right? The... Um, the expression of his essence, it's the imprint of his glory. The manifestation of his nature. Uh, they're still not getting it. Okay, oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I right? Know, I know. He's the avatar of the creation of the, of the character of God. What what'd you say, Pastor? He's the avatar of the character of God. You mean like those like tall blue guys? Yeah, like the big blue thing, right? Wow. Somebody said, Oh no, that's getting strange. Listen. We're about to enter into a, in, into a letter that Paul walks into and the whole culture thinks that avatars are real and everything else is, gets really re weird real quick. And you know what he doesn't do? He doesn't crush it. He says, okay, that's half truth. I'm going to show you the whole truth. Yeah. Upholding all that exists by his powerful word. Everything that you know is held together by his powerful word, this says in English. Yeah. This literally says that Yeshua is the literal glue holding all things in the creation and outside the creation together. Inside your life and outside of your life together. Why is that good news? Because when you think everything's falling apart, is it? No. Nope. Oh, he's better than Gorilla Glue. And how does he say that he holds things all together? By his powerful word. Oh, come on, scholars in here. What's that, what, what's that Greek word here for word? Not logos, it's actually rhema. And you know, because you have been taught well, that logos and rhema are two different things. So he upholds all things that exist by the powerful revelation of the logos. The expression of the word is and is the constitution. The rhema is the revelation of that word, the revealing of that thing. That's why there can be something true about you, but it hadn't yet been revealed to you. Nevertheless, it is true. And that truth holds all things together. And that's why you freak out sometimes because you think all things are falling apart. But he's the glue and he doesn't fail to be so. Saints, listen, Yeshua is the glue that holds all things together. Yeah. When we talk about when we have seated ourselves firmly in the identity that we are sons and daughters of the living God because we have a father, now we can fix our eyes upon the son, the very expression, the very nature of God in manifest form. 
The rest of that verse reads, are you guys still on verse 3? It says, and after he had, through himself, made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the what? The majesty. The majesty of God. Guys, what Pastor Mike is talking to you about right now, it, don't, let, don't let the lighthearted jokes that we have with you this morning cause you to forget how important this subject is. Whenever we're talking about something like an avatar, right? Like, just a little bit of background on that word for you. It actually comes from the more of like the Indian culture, right? It's like ancient Sanskrit more so, right? Like Iraq, Iran, all the way over into India. And the word avatar literally meant a physical manifestation of a deity. Yeah. Yeshua, guys, what was he? Was Yeshua a piece of God? Was he a piece of the Godhead? These are, these are questions that we have to, they have huge theological implications that then impact how you live your life, how you relate to God, and how you relate to each other, and then what the purpose of your life is. Is Yeshua a piece of God, a facet of him, or is, or is he the Father? Or is he just an example of some of Yahweh's qualities? Do you know that the Hindus picked up on this and begin to teach this, right? This is where we get, it flows through the Hindus and into us and an avatar. And we let our Marvel movies or whatever else they are actually define what we think is true. Yeah. But see, they picked up, a, they picked up on, a, on a truth. It became a half truth. And now it's filtered down to you and you don't realize it. But when you're sitting and subjecting yourself, as though I'd watched the avatar not too long ago, right? to this environment, is it shaping for you what is true? Yeah. Ask yourself that. You are a spirit-filled people. That means everything that you do, sleep, eat, get up, go to bed, go to work, everything. Is it through the lens of Yeshua, which Hebrews just said, is everything? This is called Christology, right? It's Whenever it comes to our faith, how centric is Yeshua to it, really? Is he an accessory? Was he just your savior? Because there is so much of modern Christianity that, that, that has that in it. No one is standing on, this, on a stage saying that Jesus was just an accessory to our faith or to our lives. Yet so many live like it. And I know it because we can see the manifestation of the lack of Yeshua, the lack of the presence of Jesus in people's lives who call themselves Christians. Think about this for a minute, right? Yeshua shows up, right? And he literally tells some of the leaders, listen, they say, we are father, our, our father's Abraham, right? And well, obviously Abraham's father is God. And so that makes him our father too. And so if we're all father and no son, then aren't we just... A remanifestation of a Judaism that Yeshua had to come in and course correct? Yes. The sun is central to all things. This is what we're, uh, we're getting ready to unroll for you because you are a spirit-filled people. You are a Holy Spirit-filled people. And what spirit is that? It is the spirit of Jesus. The, spirit, the Holy Spirit is not a it. It's a person, the personality of Yeshua. And the personality of Yeshua is now seated inside of you. 
This stuff begs other questions like, did Jesus come to give us a lifestyle to follow so that we would be free from the punishment of sin? See, it's quiet right now because the, the thing about counterfeits is that they sound really close to the real thing. They look really close to the real thing. Otherwise, they would never be considered counterfeits. Do you guys look at Monopoly money and accidentally mistake it for real money? Absolutely not. To be mistaken in our theology, to be mistaken in, in these beliefs and this understanding is because there are counterfeits. And it's exactly what Paul as we get into the book of Colossians today, it's exactly what Paul was working to help preemptively do with a very young, brand new church. Or did Jesus, or did, or did the blood and the name of Jesus purge us from all of our sin? And we have to decide today, what is it that we believe? What is, what is the truth here? Did he come to give you a culture to follow that after you followed it long enough, eventually then you would understand enough, you would know enough, and then eventually you would be clean from sin? Or did his blood and his name clean you from sin? See, this changes entirely how we have church services. Because then we can come to every church service just hoping that man who's got a microphone in his hand can tell me enough smart stuff from the Bible scriptures that eventually then I'll be close to God. We are here to equip and to strengthen and to encourage and to prophesy every one of those things because we know that Yeshua himself, his name and his blood is the very thing that has purged us from our sin these are the kind of questions we want to weigh heavily on you because the early church had these sort of things and we are not outside of that no no saints listen the letter to the hebrews which we just read out of is to a jewish community of believers yeah that starts off by telling them you're gonna have to have a paradigm shift a total different perspective on the entirety of life is what that means. A whole shift of how you see all things. Some of us have lived for a few decades in this life. And over time, we think that we know a thing. Until Yeshua comes and changes it all. Messes it all up. In a moment. <laughs> the writer challenges a very father-centric people to now view anything and everything through the lens of a son. So not just what he said, but now standing in the shoes of a son themselves, sonship, listening, yes, to the words that he says and how he interprets their words from their father, yes, but also seeing the entirety of why they exist and everything that they do through Yeshua. Are you with us this morning? You're not a Jewish community, are you? No. I said, you're not a Jewish community. No. You're a very Gentile community. That means outside of a Jewish community, all other nations not Jewish. You were not raised in a community immersed in the law, the prophets, and the writings. You were sown into the soils of paganism, into the soils of Western tradition, yeah. into the grounds of Christianity that are mixed with some things biblical. And these days, only some things. 
So to ask you to relate to the letter of Hebrews without immersing you in the culture is like asking me to learn Spanish without plugging me in Mexico. It's just not going to happen, at least for me. Amen. So in order to help a very father God centric group of people put on the lens of the sun, let's turn to a very, very pagan culture and a letter written to it in the book of Colossians. Say spirit-filled when you're there. We're about to fill you up today. Because when you leave, we're going to be spirit-filled. Amen? Colossians chapter 1, verse 1 says, From Shaul, or from Paul, by God's will, an emissary of the Messiah Yeshua, and brother Timothy. Two, God's people in Colossae, faithful brothers in the Messiah. Grace to you and shalom from God our Father. Whenever we pray, we always give thanks for you to God, the Father of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah. For we have heard of your trust in the Messiah, Yeshua, and of the love you have for all of God's people. Both spring, from, both spring from the confident hope that you will receive what is stored up for you in heaven. You heard of this earlier in the message about the truth. The good news has made its presence felt among you. The good news has made its presence felt among you. That makes the good news more than just a set of words or a message or a theology or something that we just communicate. Is the word the scriptures or is the word Yeshua? Yes. <laughs> Paul goes on to say, the, has made its presence among you just as it is also being fruitful and multiplying throughout the world in the same way as it has among you since the day you heard and understood the grace of God as it really is. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear, our dear fellow slave and a faithful worker for the Messiah on your behalf. And he has told us about the love which the Spirit has given you. Therefore, from the day we heard of it, we have not stopped praying for you, asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will and all the wisdom and understanding which the Spirit gives so that you may live lives worthy of the Lord and entirely pleasing to him, being fruitful in every good work and multiplying in the full knowledge of God. We pray that you will be continually strengthened with all the power that comes from his glorious might so that you will be able to persevere and be patient in any situation mm -hmm. joyfully giving thanks to the father for having made you fit to share in the in the inheritance of his people in the light he has rescued us yeah. <laughs> he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son how many of you love those verses how many of you love the book of colossians how many of you know all about it? Yeah, we're not going to skim over it today. We're going to do you a solid. 
We're going to actually give you an intro into the book of Colossians because your pastors are going to spend some time here camped. Because when we're reading this, there is so much here. It is so potent, right, that if we skim over it, we will not possibly do it any favors. So today we're going to intro you into a society very much like yours. And then we're going to spend some time unraveling it so that you might get a revelation of who Yeshua is because the because the letter of Colossians is marked by the Christology of God all things Yeshua are you ready to look under the microscope into the DNA of Yeshua and what's actually going on here amen well let me give you a few little fun facts can we do that the book of Colossians was actually like the DFW area it was a metroplex it was actually seated right next to Heropolis and Laodicea. Oh, yeah, many of you know what a Laodicea is in Revelation 3, don't you? It's actually a trilogy of cities in a valley called Lycus. Are you with me? In the valley of Lycus was Colossae, was Heropolis, and was Laodicea in the time of this particular letter. It was actually 70 miles from Ephesus. Was there a letter written to Ephesus? Yeah, the book of Ephesians, meaning they would have had a lot of interaction with one another and the people in Colossae would have actually traveled back and forth. Heropolis was actually only 14 miles from Colossae. You know what it was known for? It was known for its hot springs. Oh, it's not Arkansas, but it was known for its hot springs. It was known for its hot springs that had healing powers and therefore it became like a holistic medical community. You ever been to a holistic medical community? Many of you have been to a medical community. They're like little cities in some of these big cities like Dallas. You can go and they're like 17 buildings are all medical and, they're, and they come together, right? Well, Heropolis was like a holistic medical because they said that there was healing that came from the hot springs. You can imagine that the cults that, that uh, camped around there in order to capitalize on the economy of these springs. Laodicea, which you found in Revelation 3, was only 11 miles from Colossae. The springs that were, from, that were coming through Heropolis were channeled to Laodicea through an aqueduct. Anybody know what an aqueduct is? The Romans built them. It looks like a water highway, right? Literally like a bridge, but what travels on it is water. It comes from the hot springs. It's collected from the hot springs. It is put on the actual concrete highway, and it travels over to another, another city. But you know what happens when that happens? The water that comes out of the ground might be cold, but by the time it got to Laodicea, it was known to be lukewarm. Colossae, though, had fresh water. It had fresh water of its own, yet it survived on the economy of this ancient metroplex. Colossae is getting a little more interesting for you today. It began as a commercial city, but over time it became a little farmer's market, if you would. Right. Until it's destroyed by an earthquake. Watch this. Shortly after this epistle was written to it. What if you received a letter in the mail today with some important things on here? Like, I'll get to it next year. <laughs> Yeah, you see, the Colossians didn't have that much time. They didn't know it, so it was important for them to put into practice what was written to them. Those are some fun facts, but let me give you the setting for a minute because this is where it gets important. Do you know that the, the letter of Colossae is actually known to be a twin letter to the book of Philemon? 
So your little letter of Philemon is now twin brother with Colossae, and you're going to find a lot of the names and phrases in both books because some theologians even say that they were one to begin with, but they have become two, probably rightfully so. What's important for this culture in Colossians is it's very much like your, your culture. It was diverse religions everywhere. Matter of fact, the Jews who were brought back from the Babylonians after the exiles were carrying the message of Yahweh and the fatherhood of God, yet they had been assimilated to the Babylonian culture and brought some things with them like Jewish mysticism, Jewish folklore, and legalism. All these things were brought to the community of Colossae. You had the Phygeans, which brought Cybele and Isis. Y'all don't even know what that means. That means they brought the ideas of the fertility goddess, the divine mother of God, among many other common things found in your culture, including your Catholicism. You had the Syrians who had a, a mixed view of Judaism. They also brought the moon god and everything else with it that you see in Islam today, all brought to Colossae. And there were the Greeks and, and there were also the Romans who brought the pantheon of the gods, including Cybel herself, again, the mother of God, Isis, where we get the origins of Easter together with the fertility rabbits and everything. Oh, even the eggs. You got Apollos, the shepherd god, forced to become mortal until he could prove himself worthy of the status among the gods. So he was among the gods and then he's forced to be among the earth and he has to prove himself and measure up in order to be God. Can you see why this can affect some of your thoughts? But I want to tell you a little bit about two main influences because it's important on their culture, the book of Colossians, and your culture today. One of the main influences, one of the two main influences, was the cult of Mithraism. Mean mean Y'all aren't ready for this. <laughs> the cult of Mithraism, right? The, the god uh, Mithra, if you would, right? Mithra came from Iran and then, right, and then became Mithraeum in the Roman cultures and they brought it to the city. They were a not so secret society whose religion was marked by moralism. You know what moralism is, right? Moralism is the consensus of the community that you say, this is the standard of what moral is, right? Well, if the consensus of the community tells you that, then different communities can tell you that morality is different in different places, right? It's all about yeah. just being a good person. Sure. Visit Dubai today and you'll find out that their morality is different than yours. Yep. Visit America today right, or South Africa. You'll see different consensus of the community of what morality is. Yep. This was also happening, right? Not too much different right, than your Knights of Columbus or everything else, right? That we have secret societies over here yep. that says this is morality. We keep it. And if we keep that morality, then we keep God. So morals were the constitution of life. You know what else was predominant amongst the cult of Mithraism? Was asceticism. This is the religious self-denials, right? You say, hey, I crucify the flesh, right, Wilson? I crucify the flesh, right? Because that's what the word tells me to do. And then what we do is we take that and we say, no good thing on this earth. That coffee was really good the other day, but it was from Starbucks. And on that cup is a goddess, and I can't really drink it because I'm drinking the nectar of the goddess. And it makes me feel good, and it's a little caffeine. So I don't know if I can do that. 
Y'all don't do that? I don't know. Last time I got some, I had that thought. Last time I had a Starbucks, I'm like, should I really be turning up this cup with this lady? Anyway. It's this religious denial of self, and there is a form and facet of self-denial, taking up your cross, right? Jesus didn't tell you just deny yourself. He said, deny yourself and take up your cross. You see, that's much different, and if we don't catch that, we miss it. In the cults of Mithraism, rigorous self-denial, so flag. I'm not, I'm not going to say the wrong word. So smacking your back with whips and things like that. Just we don't say that. flatulation. Thank That's you, thank you. It's the other word. <laughs> the, <laughs> the avoidance of all indulgences, right? If you wanted to be a follow, uh, follower of Mithra, it was ev- anything that you felt was good, period. You can't have that. Yeah. And then this, this increased your status in this was worship to Mithra. Mithra is also known as the sun god, the god over the kings of the earth. Some even have some likens to a virgin birth. Twelve, or, uh, twelve constellations as followers. A death and a resurrection is talked of about when, when you start to study these things. Miracles are happening. A celebration on December 25th is happening to Mithra. A celebration <laughs> is happening. Sunday was the one day the one day that Mithra was worshipped on, like many other cults. Interesting. Also known as the savior and the light of the world. Saints, we're not going to spend much time picking on our traditions and destroying our illusions. Yeah. We want to take the time to put our finger on things that are just not so blatant, not so evident. Colossians is going to help us with that, and you know it's already doing so, amen? There were two main influences in this particular society, the greatest of influences, although it was many influences. Number one, the cult of Mithraism, God Mithra, and also something called Gnosticism. Gnosticism teaches that all things spiritual are good. Uh, You guys are about to see your cessationist and spirit-filled you know, doctrine stuff, differences between the two things we're talking about here. We're talking about all things spiritual are good, all things physical and in the flesh are inherently wicked and evil and are there to corrupt you. You've never heard that in Christianity before. Mm. Yeah. The, our, it's funny, our Bible even warns us to be, to be uh, careful with those who are caught up in the worship of celestial beings and overly spiritual and always having visions all the time. That's, uh, you know, God said, the Lord said, you know, the Lord said, the Lord speaks to me every day, 72 times, even though he speaks to Abraham like five times in his whole life. The Lord said. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. This is what we're talking about. So you could have moralism or ultra spiritualism. And and Gnostics, it's funny, they managed to combine intellectualism with being overly spiritual all at the same time. Since men are material, then men are trapped in life and in need of gnosis or knowledge. Do you hear that? Trapped in life. You ever feel trapped? You ever feel trapped in this life? Hmm. Since men are material, we're trapped in a life and we're in need of knowledge. 
Secret knowledge at that. Secret knowledge must come from the outside world and the pursuit of knowledge is everything because it brings light or life. I just, I'm thinking about so many people walking into churches all over this world today or yesterday, depending on what part of the world you're on, that are walking in to get another good teaching, and they really believe that that is the end-all, be-all, but we'll save that rant for later. You increased my knowledge. Therefore, I'm a better Christian today. Secret knowledge at that. Secret, shadows, hidden, exclusive, only to you, but not other people. Millionaire Christian speakers on stages everywhere who have made careers and become best-selling authors off of their secret knowledge and wisdom that nobody else has that's going to get you closer. Hmm. What better way, church, to lure someone away? Secret knowledge. All mankind, though, according to Gnosticism, possesses a piece of the divine spark. Think like Transformers all spark. Oh, like that meets the eye. Casey was I'm sharing sorry. this with me, and I thought this was amazing because I grew up watching He-Man, Transformers. Right? And I'm like, there's some truth in there. Right? He-Man's written by Jews, and he's taking on Skeletor, and, you know, He-Man's in the Bible. Right? He's riding his battle cat. And, totally. Yeah. Like, he totally stole it from the Bible. And then Transformers, more than meets the eye, right? Many come together as one collective right that destroys darkness and the all spark all spark the all spark all state right anyway. yeah and i'm just like come on keep keep telling me about this pastor and all mankind possesses though these shards of darkness well so that means that we all have a bit of light in us and a bit of darkness in us and think about oh come on guys we've been doing plenty of construction and deconstruction what do they call it demo yes. yeah and so <laughs> <laughs> and have you guys ever gotten fiberglass in you from demoing out yeah. that nasty, nasty insulation? Yeah. So much insulation. Well, a, Devin's got it stuck in his nose right now. Or a splinter, right? You have these things, and they're saying that that's how you are stuck with darkness. You cannot get it out. The thing about a splinter is that you can usually see the splinter in your finger, but that fiberglass feels 10 times worse, and there are 10,000 times more pieces of it, and you can't pick it out. It's just stuck there. Yeah. So that's how they say that these shards of darkness infect mankind. That's how the, what the Gnostics have to say. You know what that Gnost means? You'll never achieve anything fullness. Just shards. Always a little dark, always a little light. Man, that's not some yin-yang stuff. I don't know what it is. Yeah, that's exactly it. And Gnosticism, though, guys, is, not a, is no light thing. Yeah. It has always come against the... Good one. Keep going. Dang, I'm, I read good pun. right over my own joke. <laughs> it, has al <laughs> it has always come against the real work and people of Christ. It aims to manipulate the, son, the sons of God away from the supremacy of of Christ and into a lifelong journey of religiosity and waiting for the next part of eternity. This is living according to circumstances. The world is corrupted, therefore I'm corrupted, therefore I can't do anything, therefore I just need to know more and more and more about the next thing. This is where 
we can get obsessed with eschatology too. People who are obsessed with eschatology are not concerned about what's happening right now because they think that this is already damned today. It's not damned today. The same Christ that saved you can save the entire creation as we become the light. What better way, though, to lure away the one who is devoting themselves to their creator, their originator, their lover and friend, than to tell them that they are forever defiled unless they become completely undone? You know, it'd be good if I told you we can escape all that. If I create movies that just say, let me escape all these things, but I can't really back it up in the Bible. But hey, well, it sells millions and millions and then infiltrates Christianity and actually becomes doctrine somewhere. Man, that's not too much different than Dante's Inferno that started to talk about levels of purgatory. And then all of a sudden in history, a certain church picks it up and starts to teach it as fact. Wow, one European author or one lady in a prayer meeting in Scotland can then produce theologies, but they, don't, they didn't produce them. People wanted to hear that. Church, your, part of your flesh wants to hear that it's, all, that it's all screwed today, that there's nothing you can do about it, because it gives you permission to be pathetic, it gives you permission to be a loser, and it gives you permission to just sit back and do nothing your whole life. The world is not stuck in darkness. But Amen. that's exactly what Gnosticism has yeah. to say. Gnosticism has impacted your ability to have a deep and meaningful relationship with Jesus. Yeah, and you more ways we were talking you know. about ancient things. Oh, we're no. talking about right now. the residual effects now. You didn't know that when you saw Transformers or Avatar that you're actually sitting under Hindu influence, right? Yeah. Or Gnosticism, and you're like, I'm watching it, I know that, and I still watch it. You know why? Because I know that. And I'm like, this is for my entertainment, not for my truth. Yeah. These if you things- think it's for your truth, you shouldn't watch it. If you think it's for your entertainment, then okay. But as Leonard Ravenhill said, entertainment's the substitute for joy. Go ahead. <laughs> That's true. Gnosticism has impacted your ability to have a deep and meaningful relationship with Jesus. Today, we're not talking about ancient things. But by Holy Spirit, church, I know that we will be able to be led back into an unintellectualized, unlegalized form of union with God that I know he always intended. Gnosticism, church, just like in Colossae, is impacting you today and we want you guys to be blessed and encouraged and enlightened and educated as to how these things can come against us and then we're going to just dive right into the full Christology and everything that he does. Saints remember that we're giving you an intro into the book of Colossians so that you can actually read it and see it for what it is get from it what you're supposed to instead of just reading it as a devotional. We're going to help you out with that today. I told you We're going to put on our nerd glasses here today, and we're going to give you these things. (laughs) Hold on. We're going to give you something good. Saints, Paul writes to a group of people who have encountered God. Is that you? The one true living God. Is that you? They were immersed in many different, uh, different ideas about God. Is that you? Yes. Some helpful and many others very, very destructive. Hence the necessity for a letter from an apostle 
to be written to a people to help them overcome these things. Saints, they were a people dominated by ideals, information wars, hello, philosophies, half-truths, counterfeits, and appeals, those things that appealed to them. So why does Paul write to the book of Colossians, or to the Colossae church, right, and not just do as he did other times and say, heresy, heresy. The theologians say that Paul at least 40 to 50 something times used, for, uh, used different or Greek words he never used in any other book. What does that mean? He was, he was going to them and saying, hey, I see a witness of God in this. I'm going to start there and transform you out of that and into the full truth. That's what he did. This is important for some of you because we're handing you information. And what you like to do is go to your families and beat them over the head with it. Look what I learned today. Bam. Look what I learned today. Bam. Right? And you tear down where you should be building up. Don't do that. See the witness of the Lord. Matter of fact, Psalm 24, 1 says this. The earth is Adonai's. The whole earth. And all that's within it. The world and those who live in it. They all belong to him. For he sits, he set its foundation on the seas and established it on the rivers. The entirety of all creation belongs to him. There's not a place where he is not. Even in Sheol, I am there. Everything belongs to him. He is in all things. Yeshua is in all things. He is in your dark, corrupted, wicked family. He's still there trying to work on their behalf. He hasn't left them. He hasn't denied him. He is standing there with the truth and saying, I am here. And when Paul walks into the church of Colossae, or when he writes to the church of Colossae, he says, okay, mm, no, a bunch of half-truths, some heresy, everything else. Mm, there's my God. That's him right there. Let me start there. I'm going to work from that platform and I'm going to show you how that's only a half truth, not a whole truth. That's what he's doing in the book of Colossians. Saints to the Hebrews, as we read in Hebrews chapter one, he would say in times past, God has spoken to you through your fathers and in the faith of those prophets or prophets that came to you. But to the pagan Colossian church, the things that you believe were not all wrong. Some of them are just incomplete. Others of them are perverted. Some of them are just flat ignorant, which made none of them true. None of them true. Are you lovers of the truth? Yes. Lovers of the truth. You know that transcends denominations? Do you know that that transcends, right, different uh, choices in the culture of the kingdom? One says I eat meat, the other doesn't say, right, and you so, so you eat meat, stay over there, and you who don't, right, and don't eat meat, you go over here. Let's worship over there and worship over here. And he says to the book of Colossians, this is what he desires to write to them. As an older man, the book of Colossians is going to tell us. As an older man, this is what I'd like to say to you. These things are as they are because you have not viewed everything through Yeshua. Yeah. Everything through Yeshua. Some things, but not all things. This is what the Gnostics did. They agreed with some parts, but not the other. They missed it totally. 
It's like trying to put on, right? I watched the Avatar in a 3D movie, right? Not too long ago. Take your glasses off and try to watch it. What happens? Ah, yeah, it's not as it should be. It's, it's out of focus. And if you don't have the lens of Yeshua through everything that you do and everything that is, everything will be out of focus. You might see something, but you won't see the real thing. The sun is the centrality and the key to all things. Without relating to God the Father through the sun and as a son, the entire effort of your the entire effort of what you're doing will be mixed results. Do you want mixed results? Or you want a pure result. Without perceiving your life. Without making your decisions. Without answering the whys of everything that you believe. Your destination will always arrive at something other than the creator's original intention. This is what Hebrews 1 meant when it said that in the last days, the days leading up to the culmination of time and the beginning of eternity, God is speaking to mankind through his son, by his son, and inside of his son. So where's the father? Inside of the son. And here is how Paul breaks down these thoughts to a non-Jewish or mixed in muddy water culture, tainted with partial perspective, impure doctrines, and poor theology. Does that sound like anything that you may have lived in, at least in some point in your life? Yes. Okay. Then the book of Colossians is very important to us, yeah. saints. Colossians 1.9 says, Therefore from the day we heard of it, we have not stopped praying for you, asking God to fill you with the knowledge of His will and in all the wisdom and understanding which the Spirit gives. You know what Paul basically just said to a whole culture of people trapped in moralism and in intellectualism? Mm-hmm. He just, he didn't say you should all be uneducated, untaught, and just be spiritual. Mm-hmm. He did not say that. That's right. He said to fill you with the knowledge. They're like, yeah, I can get on board with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I'm always getting filled with knowledge. I'm a Gnostic. I'm always looking for a new, for a new bit of information. Yeah. Yeah, so, I can and, use a new level of morality. Yeah. Right? Mithra taught me that, and I'll be better for it. Hmm. Isn't that isn't that interesting? You know what? I need a little more of the word and a lot more of the spirit and I'll be good. Hmm. But what's the difference? I'm going to show you. Jesus. That's it. Profound. (laughs) You're like, yeah, I heard that before. No, 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 no. You've heard it before, but have you heard it? No. But we get so caught up, church, and this is just what Pastor Mike was speaking earlier about how we handle the revelation or the, or the information, either one that you receive in a teaching on a Sunday or, or a message on a Sunday or a teaching or a message on a Thursday, is that what do you do with it? You go and you use it oftentimes as a weapon to smack somebody else with it when we gave it to you for the purpose of building you up. Yeah, come on. Guys, and right here in this passage, in, in, in verse 9, 
where it says to fill you with the knowledge. That word knowledge, do you all remember the word that we just told you a moment ago for knowledge? Gnosis or gnosko. Gnosko. They're all connected to each other. This word here, though, is different. It's epinosis. Okay. Epinosis. To be filled with the epinosis of his will or of his desires. That is the highest, the ultimate, the precise. Like epic. Epi. Not a guessing game for God's heart. That's really interesting for then a culture controlled by moralism. Or a culture where you're always trying to figure out what it's going to take to please this God. Guys, you know what they did oftentimes in paganism? They had child sacrifice frequently. Mm -hmm. They were killing babies regularly. It's not just here in America. And they were having sexual encounters in temples and calling it spiritual. Always trying to figure out how am I going to please this God and so that we can have crops next year, so that we can have a profitable year next year, so that we don't die of famine or of disease next year. Always doing something. And Paul says, he will fill you. He will fill you with the ultimate knowledge of what it takes to please his heart. (laughs) That's unlike any other God that they had heard of in their lives. Or the understanding, it says, of his will and all the wisdom and understanding which the Spirit gives. The word understanding is not gnosis. It is synesis. Or synesis. Much like some of the things that uh, I think Dylan and I talked about at one point with you. Or maybe Landon. It was, there's a connection there. Synesis means the ability to flow together. The Spirit does not give you a light understanding of certain tidbits or wisdom or perceptions of God's goodness. But we treat Holy Spirit like that all the time. Yeah. He gives you the ability to flow with Yahweh, to move in motion with the river of God, to move with the Holy Spirit, the one who is moving, Numa. The Spirit is not there just to give us light tidbits of knowledge, not just to give you a prophetic word so that you can preach it, so that you can get on a microphone and say it during worship time or feel cool laying hands on somebody. The Spirit gives you and me the ability to walk and to move with God. Gnosticism and everything else we have spoken of limits you and me to learning a way of life. To perfection and light and only believing our adherence to it will cause a, cause its existence and reality you know the goodness of God is still good whether or not you choose to participate in it yes that is your loss that's right we don't lose any of the goodness of God we don't lose any of the power of Yeshua or of his Holy Spirit in in us or among his people just by not participating in it. But if your culture set on moralism or intellectualism, it totally determines everything. Mm-hmm. 
We must get our Christology right, church. He came so that we may all personally know his heart and flow and operate with him. This has been the message of the gospel and the very thing he has been speaking from inside of you. From inside of you. But that you and I have ignored in so many ways in our lives. So Paul writes to a community that believes in word, a knowledge of a word. Okay, good. They also believe in spiritual things. They're spiritual people. But what they do is they keep the two separate and they never become one because you can have one but not the other. Never, neither of those can be one and the same. Saints, part of our ministry is that we make spirit-filled disciples who love the word of God and understand, <coughs> understand that the spirit and the word are one, and they're not a it, they're a he. He is Yeshua. All things come together in him. So to be spirit-filled is much more than what happens in a worship circle. Are you following me? This is where we're getting to today, and this is where we're starting our perspective that we're going to move on to in the weeks to come. Verse 10 in Colossians chapter 1. So that you might live lives worthy of the Lord and entirely pleasing to him, being fruitful in every good work. Somebody say every. In every work and multiplying in the full knowledge of God. How many of you know that Yeshua didn't hold anything back from you? Not his love, not his word, not his power. Nothing. He transferred all things to you. So how important is it right here in Colossians are you going to a people that says, well, OK, I believe in Yeshua, but because of my little little bit of Gnosticism left in me, he gave me some today and a little bit tomorrow as I mature. Or I get a some now and all of it in heaven when I die. Yeah. Why would Paul write to a people and say in every single work, everyone, everyone. You can do good. That you could have the full knowledge of God, not just some of it. The full knowledge. You see, he's combating a thought as he's writing to a people. My testimony as a spirit-filled. Anybody ever hear that? Well, we're spirit-filled Christians. You're like, so what's the other ones? Right? We're spirit-filled Christians. Well, we're a spirit-filled church. You know, this is our terminology. What does that mean? Right. This is what I know. I fell in love with the Lord. Right. He dramatically transformed me. I was seriously on fire for him. And then I met some other Christians that looked like they loved Jesus more than me. I was not. I was not OK with that. And I'm like poking at like what's different We're we love Jesus. But why do you seem to love Jesus more than me? There's something different about you. They say, oh, we were spirit filled Christians. And I'm like, is that a category? What's that thing? Right. I couldn't answer that, but this is what I knew in the moment. I love Jesus, and I didn't love the fact that they look like they love Jesus more than me because the fruit in their life, right, said something different. So it caused me to go to the Word and say, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit of God? What does it mean to be filled? I am full, but somebody next to me is being filled with the Spirit. They are overflowing. I'm not okay with that. And neither should you be. I realized that I 
thought that the Lord gave me things in, in, that he was partial and he showed favoritism and he gave me a little bit and I need to earn the rest. Yeah. Saints, what's keeping you from being on fire for God? What's keeping you from overflowing being spirit filled? Is it that you think that the best version of a Jesus lover that you can be will, be, will, will come when you get out those partialities of darkness? Or did you become light? Ephesians 5, 8, for you were once darkness, but now you are light. Do you want to read it? It doesn't say that you now came to light. To the church of Ephesus, he says you were once darkness and you're not that any longer. You have now become light. You are now light. Where there is light, there is no darkness. So then live in your actions, live in your being, be in your belief, believe that you are children of the light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord, having nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. What does light do to darkness? It exposes it. And that's not something that you have to try to do. You just have to know that you are light. Ephesians 5.18 do not get drunk on wine that leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit of God. Saints, are you a better Gnostic than you are a Christian? Because that is why the pastor of the Colossian church named Epaphras reached out to Paul in prison and got himself arrested as well in order that the Christians would not stay trapped in the traditions of men and false religions that sought to enslave them with half-truths and that led to a lifeless life and a mindless pursuit of believers. Ones who had no discernment in the word and no intimacy with Holy Spirit. Paul tells the Colossian church up front, he didn't even visit, he never got a chance to visit. He had to write to them on behalf of their pastor that you can see a spirit-filled Christian. You can see what defines spirit-filled. You will see what defines a spirit-filled Christian. They are ones that are not full. They are ones that are overflowing. And when they're overflowing, even the Gnosticism and the morality and all those things that they adhere to, it's getting out of them. So what are they not anxious about? The things that are still there because they are light. And in light is like light flowing through that cup that you see overflowing. It's flowing those things out anyway. Light exposes darkness. And if it's increasing light anywhere it goes, it drives out darkness. This was the language happening in the Colossian church. Are we getting something this morning? Yes. Paul tells the Colossians up front. You can see a spirit-filled people because they have fruit. And what does it look like? Like Pastor Kaysen says, it doesn't look like a people who just show up and prophesy, speak in tongues, and fathom all mysteries in the kingdom of God. It doesn't look like that. Verse 11, we pray that you will be continuously strengthened. 
Do you know a spirit-filled people manifests a continual strengthening in their life? With all power that comes from the glorious might so that you will be able to persevere and be patient in all situations. Joyfully giving thanks to the Father. Do you mark spirit-filled Christians by the ones who speak in tongues or do you mark spirit-filled Christians by the ones who walk in all power? Look what he says here. They are marked. A spirit-filled Christian is marked by continuously being strengthened by a community of light, living in the light, bringing all your, although we call them walls, bringing your walls into the light, bringing your insecurities in the light, bringing your imposter mentality into the light, and let everybody say, hey, I'm working through these things. The Spirit's flowing through me, so they're getting out, and all these things are worked out, and I'm not hiding them from you. I don't work in the shadows. I work in the light. Hebrews 11 says that we are among these people who quenched the fury of flames, escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned into strength and who became powerful in battle. Being powerful in battle is not something that we see. This is how we fight our battles. This is how we fight. How do we fight our battles? Yes, our praise becomes a weapon, but these other things, the fruit in our life becomes the weapons. He goes on to say that a spirit-filled people are marked by walking. Come on, Christopher. Walking in all power. How much power? How much power? Where is all power? Is it in the heavens being transferred to you? Or have you been given all power? Remember that next time you feel weak. Colossians 1.29 says, Paul says it like this. It It is all his energy working so powerfully in me. He he wasn't trying to earn or get something he didn't have. He was working from what he did have. He goes on to say that perseverance or persevering through and not around all things are a mark that marks a spirit-filled people. You ever meet a persevering people? Man, they're inspirational, aren't they? Right? You meet one that's joyful about it, that's even more inspirational. Meaning they're not whining while they're persevering. Praise the Lord. Romans 5, 4 says perseverance produces character and character hope. Have you been hopeless lately? Because you need to back up and produce some character. And so because some character comes from perseverance. Baby, you need some perseverance so you can have some hope. Are you with me today? Can y'all tell I got some sleep? Yeah, last eight months I haven't been sleeping. I got a little rest. Someone winding on you today. Is okay? He said a spirit-filled people is also marked by being the embodiment of patience. So now I'm having a moment of patience, being the embodiment of patience. You ever meet those? I'm not that person. I love those people that I meet. They are the embodiment of patience. 2 Peter 2, 3, 15 says, God's patience leads to salvation. Wow. God is the embodiment of patience. God's patience leads to salvation. And watch this. Salvation means healing and healing means that you will be a whole and healthy people. Do you want to be whole, saints? Do you know that you can be whole? Well, not if you have Gnosticism. But you can be whole and you can be healthy. And when you are patient, you are like God. The embodiment of patience. God embodies patience. 
And then he says it like this, be joyful. You're like, yeah, like, woo. Like, no, be joyful, something inside. Even when things aren't going right for you, you're like, hey, praise the Lord, right? He's fighting my battles. I'm looking over it. There's a, there's a, there's a poise and a sustainability in me that this will pass too, praise the Lord. Be joyful. First Thessalonians 5.18 says, always giving thanks. How many times? Always. always. How many times? Always. always. This is what he goes on to say. For having made you fit to share in the inheritance of his people in the light. Saints, do you know that you have been made fit? Yeah, listen, you new creations, you were formed and fashioned in this new creation to be fit to share in the inheritance of the light. This is not your, uh, your, your morphing that you're doing throughout this life. You were not being morphed into these things. You were taken out of darkness into light, out of darkness into light. And then our scripture says that everything that is exposed to the light becomes light. Yeah. The spiritual... This is you were formed and fashioned in this new creation to be fit for the inheritance of this light. The spiritual, ideological, and theological doctrines Paul was aiming to guard the brothers and the sisters in Colossae from included things like this. Working to be worthy of salvation. None of that in here, right? I hope not. We've spent a long time combating that. (laughs) Raise your hand if that's you. If you ever felt like that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Raise your other hand if you did as well. (laughs) Now, wave it around. That makes you a wave offering. (laughs) Because we're about to turn this message, turn it up, and end it. And we want you to get everything that the Lord has for you today. Are you ready for it? Are you ready for it? Are you a spirit filled people? Yes. Come on, Judah. Come on. (laughs) Hey, so not only was he working uh, against the idea of working to receive salvation, but he was also working against this ideal among these people, that they were anxious to be perfect. Hmm. We, We preached a whole message called Be Holy on this. I think Pastor Mike was out of town, and it was all on... Romans oh, okay. se- uh, Roman 7 and Galatians 3, and we, we uh, yeah, controversial message, but it was a good one. I thought it was excellent, and I thought that it clarified and reminded me that being perfect and perfected at two different times can't happen. You can be perfected in the Lord, but when a spirit of perfectionism comes on you, there's just a little different feeling in it. It's totally different. And this is one of the things that we see right here in this church and that Paul heard of in the church in Colossae. Perfectionism is not a characteristic of Jesus. But being perfected in him is what's happening in you. Or what about negativism? That is a hard one for me to say. Negativism. Seeing the world through the lens of darkness rather than the lens of light. This produces Christians who are overly concerned with every spiritual attack. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If somebody, actually don't ask me, 
But if you were to ask me, some people in the room would laugh at how they think I feel about having conversations about confusion and about constant attacks. I hate hearing about it. There's a negativism in the church, in the body of Christ, that does not acknowledge the power and the authority of, that Jesus brings. And it produces a constantly confused and upset, anxious people that drives me insane because the Holy Spirit wants wholeness in this house. Because I love you. <sighs> you don't okay. have to go and waddle with demonic pigs and interact with everything demonic in order to make yourself feel more holy. This produces... If you need, if you need some drama in your life, that means you're not active in the kingdom because establishing righteousness creates enough drama for you. Yeah, keeps you busy. People, people who are just, you know, this demon and that demon, I slayed that, no, that is part of the kingdom. But this is how we view it. We establish righteousness daily. In and of that gives us plenty of work to do. When the devil shows his ugly head, we remind him where he belongs, under our foot. When demonic activity tries to come towards us, we see that as a witness that we're advancing the kingdom of light, pushing back darkness, and they're pissed off about it. And we're okay about that, right? Because we are a target, and the enemy himself does not want us here on this battlefield. And so we're going to push back, and when we feel resistance, we say, hey, we have become the resistance. Yeah. But we're not, going, we're not devil hunters. We're hunting the lost. That's yeah. it. We yeah. don't got time to hunt everything else. And when it comes up, we simply put it in its place. That's right. Amen. Yeah. This also produces victims in, in our nature. Unstable, strained by debilitating anxiety, and stuck in cynical skepticism. Yeah. This all leads you to believing that not only can we not participate in this kingdom of light, in this dark age, but that the darkness surrounding you and inside of you is more substantial than the dominating force of his light that he brings. Yeah, come on. How many spirit-filled Christians in this room today can stop and consider that maybe sometimes... Or even most of the time, you give more credit to your sin nature and to the enemy than you do to him and to his marvelous light. Saints, Yeshua is not going to share a stage with Satan. No. And often that's what we do when we magnify Satan above the ability of Yeshua to put him down. Yeah, how many of us give too much credit to circumstances over the power of him and his light? Is or your circumstances bigger than your God? No. No. Or to his enemies over him and his light. Mm. Or to spiritual entities in the world. This principality and that principality. He already won. He already won. Or medical conditions. Come on. Or mean family members. Mean. So mean. I know I didn't act like Jesus, but they just treat me wrong. His light is more than how you treat it. His light is more powerful and is more than you and I can so often Come treat on. it. It's, it's like go, it's going to take a group of God's people, church, to actually believe that this inheriting his light thing is more than just possible, <laughs> which is already a theological discussion that should not be happening. Yeah. That it, this is the entire reason that he came. He came to 
take away my sins because God was mad. No, he came and he brought light with him. He lavished you in that light and then you become the light with him. And he actually did it. Yeah, it's already, it already it, happened. He did it. it already happened. Yeah. The entire reason light has entered darkness was so that when we became light, that the rest of the creation would be able to see that there is no thing safe from the light that has, uh-huh. has come. Yeah. Has come. Not will come at the end of the age. Has come. Nothing is safe. Yeah. All will either become light and abide in it or will flee from it and be destroyed by it. Second mm. Corinthians chapter 4 says this in verse 4. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Who is the image of of God. Yeah. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts Dang. to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. That to believe anything less than this is to take our infinitely victorious and supreme Christ and place him in a box of logic and reason that could never actually contain him how small have you made our savior how dim have you made his light let's get our Christology right because Ephesians 5.13 says, But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, for it is light that makes everything visible. Wow. So what's darkness? The absence of light. So then what is light? It's a good question, right? Gnostic tried and failed to define it. But in your Bible, light is not a what. It's a who. John 1, 5 says, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Oh, it gets better. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. John 1 1 says in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word. And the word was with God. He was with him in the beginning through him, the word, Yeshua, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness. 
Pastor Kaysen just said it. From darkness. He's not apart from it. He'll work in it to eradicate it. The light shines in darkness, but the darkness did not comprehend nor understand it. Yeshua is God. And he is the visible character of everything that is invisible. Did you get that? He is the visible nature and character of everything that is invisible we call God. John 3.19. So therefore there is a verdict. Boom. Gavel. Gavel. Slammed. Done. Judgment. Verdict. Not waiting for it is. Light has come into the world. But men, us, mankind, loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. <laughs> Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that these deeds will be exposed by the light. There went, something happened. That these people do understand the light. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that he may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. Saints, all men are not partially dark and partially light. They are totally dark. All mankind is totally dark. Somebody says, well, listen, I came from nothing and finally I found something. No, you didn't come from nothing. You, Colossians says you came from the domination of darkness. But 1 John 12, 46, I have come into the world as light, Yeshua says, so that no one who believes in me will stay in darkness. There's been a transference. Light has entered the darkness and he filled it. He filled the darkness. He filled the emptiness. He filled the void. Colossians 1.13 told us, He has rescued you. He has rescued you from the domination of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. The scripture goes on to say the kingdom of light. And if you're in the kingdom of light, and if you're in the kingdom of the son he loves, what does that mean about you? You're equally as loved and you're equally light. Into the light. John 12, 35 says it like this. Then Yeshua told them, you are going to have a light for a little longer walk. While you have the light before darkness overtakes you, the man who walks in the dark does not know where he's going. Because you can't see anything. But you trust in the light. For your trust is in the light. For your trust is in the light while you have it so that you may become sons of light. Those who trust in the light are sons of light. Sons are those... They're sons because they are light too. And saints, that's what you are. 1 Thessalonians 5, 4 says, But you, brothers, are not in darkness any longer, so that the day might surprise you like a thief. You know some things. You have the gnosis. Or gnosis. You have the gnosis. You have the knowledge of the mysteries of the kingdom. They've been given to you. 
You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night nor to darkness. Peter said it like this. Paul says it like that in Thessalonians. Peter says it like this in chapter first uh, Peter two nine. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his hmm, wonderful light. Paul said it like that. Peter said it like this. And John says it like this. When Yeshua, or Yeshua says it like this, when Yeshua spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Saints, it's not something that you're, you, you're going to possess. It's something that you do possess. And when you possess it, it possesses you. First John says it like this, dear friends, I am not writing you something new. Now wonder there were counterfeits already in the day of Colossians. The message had already gone forth. It was in Genesis 1-1. When the creation was in chaos, God spoke and he said, let there be light. And your Hebrew sages says your entire Bible is about that message separation of darkness and light and now Yeshua's coming to say I overcome all things that means darkness is even subject to me yet I am writing you a new command its truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light has already started shining already started shining already started shining saints we must make the shift of trying to possess something and, or, and, and make the shift and a whole paradigm into the reality that we do possess something and we possess all things and he is King Yeshua and he is seated upon the throne of our heart and he's not just partially in heaven and a little bit in you, he's all in you. We'll wrap it up with this and King Yeshua taught and Matthew 6, 22, if the eye, how you perceive all that is, the eye, it's the lamp of your body. It's what maintains whether you're lit or not. L-I-T, come on. If your eye is good, your whole body is full of light. If your eye, your perspective is bad, then your whole body's full of darkness. Your flesh, everything. If then the light within you is darkness, how great the darkness. Saints, if how you perceive reality and truth is through the sun, then your whole body will be whole. Do you believe that? Your whole body will be whole. Remember that next time you pray over a loved one or over yourself for healing. Wholeness can be yours. If you view the reality of the truth through the sun, your whole body will be whole and you will be full of light, which John said was God. Not good, God. But if the lens of what you see in your life, in your decisions, in why you do what you do, how you answer the whys of life, and why you even exist are not viewed through the lens of Yeshua, Yahweh's salvation, as a reminder, 
your physical body that you get to do this entire life in is absent of life. And your Bible defines that as darkness. But do you know that Paul is going to go on to teach us in the upcoming weeks in the book of Colossians as he continues to bring this to a head? In verse 15 in chapter 1, he says, Yeshua is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, all things are subject to him. Whether thrones, powers, rulers, authorities, all things were created by him, and I love this one, for him and for his purposes and his good use. And saints, that does include you. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. That means firstness in all things. For God was pleased to have his pleroma, his fullness, dwell in Yeshua. You know what Colossians 2.9 goes on to say? For Christ... For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And you, you, you have been given fullness. There's no partial darkness. It's all light or none. All fullness has been given to you. Verse 12. Chapter 1, verse 12, Father. For the Father has made everyone fit to share in the inheritance of the people of light. For he has rescued us from the domination or dominion of darkness and transferred us in to the kingdom of the Son that he loves, which is Light. Saints, we've been talking to you today about being spirit-filled. This is the reason that Paul wrote to the Colossian church, because they called that full. But what's the problem with that? It can become stagnant, and from within, things begin to grow. Why can you drink river water but not a lake? Because it's flowing. This is what fullness is, and this is what spirit-filled is. Oh, can you hear it? Can you see it? Yeah, you can see what spirit-filled is. If you can't see it, it's not it. You might have met some people that are full but stagnant. Full but infected. But when you're continuously filled, all the things that try to infiltrate just get washed out. This was the problem with Colossus Church, the Church of Colossae. Paul writes to it to say this is what Yeshua did. He emptied himself that you might be really full. Stand with me today. This year we're going to be a spirit-filled people. We're not going to be filled. 
We're going to be spirit-filled because the Spirit is the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Yeshua. All things that he has poured into us will be poured out, and we will flow in the Spirit of God. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for making us spirit-filled people. We thank you, mighty God, that, Father, through this process, Lord God, Mighty God, that all things are being washed out, and the only thing that remains is that continual process of being full of you. Mighty God, we love you, and we